so much. We're in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, picking up in our study in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we are picking up with verse 7 this morning, looking at verses 7 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 4. And as I read, remember this is the Word of God. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And that's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again uh, for allowing us this great privilege and blessing of having your word, of being able to read it, understand it. Father, we know we can't understand it alone. We need your help. And so we pray for the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us now, be our teacher, be our guide. Pray that he would open our eyes to see the truth of your word, our our ears to hear it, but more than anything, our hearts to receive it and to apply it. We might grow from it, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the unity of the church, and I I said then that the first half of chapter 4 deals with that very important subject. And I said then that the unity of the church ought to be important to us because... The unity of the church is important to God. You know, the Bible uses several different analogies to talk about the relationship between Christ and his church. One of those is is the church is the bride of Christ. Gary James mentioned that briefly in Sunday school this morning. Uh, Another is that of the body, the human body. The other is that of a building. And each one of those analogies shows the great unity of the church. What more intimate union is there between that of a, a bride, a groom, a family? The human body is made up of many different parts, yet it's one body. And all those parts work together in harmony to make your church function properly. What is a building? A building is a structure made out of many, many different parts all fit together in just the right place. And that's the way the Bible describes the church. One body made up of many different parts. And the remarkable thing about the unity of the church is just that, is that it is characterized by such great diversity. You see, unity is not the same thing as uniformity. We don't become clones of each other. We don't all necessarily agree on everything. But you see, the gospel enables us to love in spite of and not just because of. You know, the world loves because of. Christians love in spite of. And so... Uh, Today we come to focus more on the diversity of the church. Uh, Verses 4 through 6 again is stressed. Seven 
things about the unity of the church that there is uh, one body one spirit one hope one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father who is overall stressed there was on the unity of the church now the stress in verses 7 through 10 is more on the diversity of the church or the uniqueness of believers. And I want to show you three things from this text this morning. First, I want you to see the reality of Christ's gift. Verse 7 tells us this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, if you're looking for, you know, the word but that begins uh, that verse is kind of like however. It's a, it's an adversative Shows a contrast. If you're looking for a contrast, kind of to go with that word, but it is in verse 6, the focus on all. And the transition in verse 7 to each one. Out of all those who make up the body of Christ, to each one of us, something has been given. And that which has been given to each one of us is grace. That's what text says. But to each one of us, grace was given. Now, grace is a wonderful thing, isn't it? If you're going to sum up the gospel in one word, grace would be it. You see, grace is all about God giving, isn't it? God is gracious. <laughs> and in His grace, God gives to His people freely and without reservation, without hesitation. It's, it's God's nature to give. And the gracious God gives marvelous things to His people. You see, grace not only saves us, but grace also enables us to live the Christian life. You see, grace is not just focused upon conversion. Grace is essential for sanctification as well. We're not just saved by grace, but we live by grace as well. And so, I think the focus here is more on enabling grace. And we talked about saving grace back in chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that any, no man should boast. That's saving grace. Here, I think the focus is more on enabling grace. It's God enables us to live the Christian life. And in the context, he's dealing with the gifts that Christ gives to his church. Look at the end of the verse where he says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's going to talk about gifts more later. You know, spiritual gifts are God's gift of grace. You might call them grace gifts. What does that mean? Well, it means that we don't go looking for gifts. God gives us gifts. You see, the gifts aren't laid out for us cafeteria style. So we can just kind of go down the line and pick and choose which gifts we want to have. No. Every believer has a gift, but that gift has been given from God. And you see in the text that the measure, the measure 
of the gift is determined by the grace of God. What gift you have or the number of gifts you have, that measure is determined by the sovereign Lord. Let's think about the the practical side of that for just a moment. Because these spiritual gifts are assigned according to the measure of Christ's gift, we're not to seek them again. But we're rather not to try to find gifts, but we're to discover what gifts God has given to us. And also, since each gift is essential to the proper functioning of the church, no gift should go on you. Now, if there's an epidemic in the church today, that's it. Is that many Christians cannot tell you what their spiritual gift is or gifts are. And many of those who know what their spiritual gift is or their gifts are, don't use them. It's an epidemic in the church. Not just this church, but the church in general. Now, confession time. Part of that's my fault. We're going to see next week that one of the responsibilities of leadership is just that. Helping you discover what your gifts are. And then finding ways for you to utilize those gifts and use them within the body of Christ. Now, if you look with me for a moment at Romans chapter 12. Paul gives another perspective on it, kind of adding to what we've seen here in Ephesians 4. Romans 12 and verse 6. He says this, Since we have gifts that differ, and and look, exactly what he said in, in Ephesians 4, 7. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And so, again, these gifts differ, and they're given to us by the grace of God, and we're to use them accordingly. Then we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One more passage before we move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, many different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in each person. It's interesting, isn't it? That the Trinity is mentioned in that verse. One, the same Spirit, verse 4, the same Lord, verse 5, and the same God in verse 6, verse 7. They're given, to each one is given the manifestation of of the Spirit for the common good. And so, these gifts are given by God's grace, according to His will, for the good and the blessing of the church. Second, I want you to see how Christ's victorious ascension fits into this whole matter of the giving of gifts. We might refer to the ascension as Christ earning the right to distribute the gifts as he pleases. In verse 8, Paul quotes from Psalm 68, 68, 18. 
And Psalm 68 is a hymn of triumph. It's a victory hymn. It was used when Israel would return from a victory, uh, from a victorious battle. And the, 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 many times they would take the, the Ark of the Covenant up Mount Zion to show the ascension of the Lord and his victory and how he conquered his enemies and all the rest. Listen again to verse 8. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. You see, in ancient times, when a king would conquer an enemy, he would often bring the, the spoils of the battle back with him, along with the enemy soldiers that he had captured, the captives, if you will. And he would have a parade of short sorts. He would show off the spoils of the battle, and he would parade the, the enemy soldiers that had been taken captive. And then he would many times share the spoils, distribute the spoils uh, to the people. Now, the analogy with the work of Jesus is clear. You hear Paul in this verse is describing, quoting this Old Testament passage, he's describing what we know as the ascension of Jesus. You know, the earthly ministry of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection was all a spiritual battle against Satan and his demons. The, the, the work of Christ was all about a battle for the souls of men. And, and Jesus accomplished that victory by going to the cross and by being raised from the dead. Then 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended back into heaven. And don't you know that when Jesus, in fact the Bible tells us, when Jesus ascended back into heaven, resumed his rightful place of glory in the Trinity, he was welcome as a victorious king who had conquered all his and our enemies and gained salvation for his people. He was the king returning home, having accomplished the purpose for which he was sent and having won the battle that he came to fight. And the Lord Jesus had with him spoils of the battle. He had the souls of the people for whom he gave his life as he ascended back into heaven. That's what the captives refer to in the text. He led captive a host of captives, having taken them out of the captivity and the hand of Satan and now holding them captive himself. And not only that, Jesus shares the spoils of the battle with his people. So many benefits and blessings we receive because the victory of Christ has been won. And part of those spoils are the gifts that Christ gives to his church. Now again, I want you to get the full picture of what's taking place here. You know, we, we don't talk about the ascension of Jesus nearly as much as we do the crucifixion and the resurrection. But it's equally an important part of the work of Christ. You see, again, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he did so as, as the victorious and conquering king. And he was placed in the seat of honor at the right hand of his father. You know, the whole work of Christ was about the father sending the son on a mission. 
And then the mission was to save his people from their sins. That's what, again, the angel told Joseph about Jesus when he told him to give him that name. You'll, you'll call his name, name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus was sent to do. And Jesus was determined to do it. There wasn't anything that was going to deter Jesus from accomplishing his Father's will. And even when he wavered, the night before he went to the cross, and he asked his Father, Father, if there's any other way to accomplish this without doing that, if there's any way to let this cup pass from me, please do. But he went on to say, but I'm here to do your will. So, so not my will, but thine be done. And so Jesus completed the task. Died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended back to this rightful place of glory that he had with the Father before creation. And as the text says in verses 9 and 10, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself. Also he who ascended far above all heavens, all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Now those verses sound real complicated, but they're quite simple. Talking about Jesus' descension and his ascension. He who descended, that's Jesus coming to earth. He says into the lower parts of the earth. You know, Jesus came into the muck and the mire of sin. He dealt with some of the lowest people of society. The holy Christ rubbing shoulders with sinful men and women. He descended. He descended is the one who has passed back into heaven with his father. Reminds me of that passage we turn to so often in Philippians chapter 2. You know, some passages just kind, of, just kind of sum up the gospel so richly. But Philippians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, begin with verse 7, where it says, Christ emptied himself, taking the form, let's back up to verse uh, 6, that although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likes of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What's that? That's the descension. Then we pick up with verse 9. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. He stayed on him a name that which is above every name. So the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those in heaven and those under the earth. That it and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's that? His, that's his ascension. Jesus descended from heaven into the lower parts of the earth. Now he's ascended back into his rightful place of glory. And by that he earned the right to distribute these gifts. And then that's what I want to see in the third place. is Christ's dis- distribution of these gifts. You know, in that quotation from Psalm 68 it says very clearly at the end of that verse that he gave gifts to men now the giving of the gifts must always be seen in the light of the giving of the Holy Spirit 
You know, right before his ascension, Jesus told the apostles, you will receive power shortly and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, many days from now, he said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit came the coming of the gifts that Christ gives to his church. You see, when you're brought to faith in Christ, the moment you are converted, you receive the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. You see, the, the, the experience of the Holy Spirit is not some second blessing. It's not something we're to look for and pray for and anticipate later after our conversion. When we come to faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit that very moment. He becomes a part of our lives. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit is the coming of the gifts as well. You see, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. If you're a believer this morning, you have at least one spiritual gift. Now, many believers have multiple gifts. Some of those are stronger than others. Many people have the same gift. But that gift might be used in in different ways. Let's, Let's think about the gift of teaching for a moment. Many of you here today have the gift of teaching. But not all of you have the gift to do what I'm doing this morning. Stand before a crowd of people and exposit or teach the Word of God. But you have the gift to sit in one of these classrooms group of little children around you and teach the word of God a lot better than I could do that or you have the gift to to lead a Bible study here at the church or in your home or you have the gift to sit down with someone one on one open up the Bible and tell them what what it means maybe your expertise is more in writing than in speaking some people have the gift of teaching through what they are able to write you see it's one gift but many different manifestations of the way that gift exists within the life of the church. And again, the important thing to remember is that if you're a believer this morning, you have a spiritual gift. You're included in those, he mentions verse 8, where it says, he gave gifts to men. And so part of my challenge to you today is to try to discover what gift or gifts God has given to you and then to find ways to use it. Now, I know that can be a scary proposition sometimes. Because the only way to see if you have a gift is to try to use it. Finding your spiritual gift to some degree is a matter of uh, trial and error. But it uh, isn't limited to that. You know, you just have to ask yourself, where's my heart? What do I desire to do? How do I really want to be used? Because many times God gives us a burden, doesn't he? Burden. And then he gifts us to be able to accomplish that. Another thing to remember is that these gifts are given for the common good. For the good of the whole church. The edification of the body. God doesn't give us gifts just so we can show them off. Or draw attention to ourselves. You see, the gifts are not about us. But the gifts are about the body. In fact, I would go so far as to say, I'm not sure there's any spiritual gift that can be used 
in complete isolation. They're always used in the context of the body. Even if your gift is praying, and you're a prayer warrior in your closet at home, you pray for the needs of the body. Even if your gift is giving, you give in the body, and your gifts benefit the body. Even if your gift is serving. We talk about serving Christ, which we do, but how do we serve Christ? We serve Him by serving the body. And if your gift is service, you're serving the body, even if it's by picking up the trash or backing the floor or arranging the chairs, that's serving the body. Our spiritual gifts are designed to help the body. And so in the midst of this wonderful sense of unity, we have this amazing diversity where God takes individual parts, individual pieces, different gifts, and fits them together in one marvelous whole. And when you use your gift, the church is blessed. Now, you know the flip side of that. When you don't use your gift, the church misses the blessing. You know, we all need to make sure here that we allow each other to test our gifts safely. That is, we ought to be so united here, so one here, that we have the freedom to try things without fear of embarrassment, without fear of humiliation, without fear of rejection. You ought to give each other the freedom to try your gifts, knowing that the body will come alongside you and encourage you, help you, and guide you as you try to find your right place to use your gift within the body of Christ. Quickly, I want to look at one more verse. You'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And I, I do this at the very end, and I'm going to do it briefly, because I think this one verse summarizes everything we've seen from our passage in Ephesians 4. First Peter 4.10 says as this, As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, there it is again, each one. As each one has received, my text says, a special gift. Many of your texts just have the word gift. That's okay. Really, it's in my text for emphasis. They're special gifts. Your gift's a special gift. Because it's your gift. Because it's the gift God gave to you. Because it's the gift that you use to benefit the body of Christ. That's what he says here. We've received special gift and we're to employ it, use it in serving one another. And we're to do so as good stewards of the grace of God. You know, we talk a lot about stewardship, being good stewards of our time, being good stewards of our money. That we're the good stewards of our gifts. Knowing what they are and using them in the right way. And so, again, we need to be thankful for this tremendous sense of unity that we have in the church. And we need to appreciate the diversity that God uses to make us 
one body. And you need to look for ways to use your gift to benefit the whole. And you need to be willing to allow other people to use their gifts to bless and benefit your life as well. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that in the midst of so much and wonderful unity, we have such great diversity. Thank you for each one that's here, each gift that's been given. And I pray for those this morning who are struggling to find what their gift is or are unsure, that you'd show them what that gift is. For those who know their gift but are uneasy, uncomfortable, afraid to use it, I pray you'd give them the courage to step out in faith, to step up and to use that gift, be encouraged by it and to bless the body by it. I thank you so much for giving us a place where we can do that, where we can try our gifts to test them. Find what they are and then use them for your glory and for the good of your people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.